0: We need objective data. Cancer-related fatigue is the most common side effect of cancer treatment. Being able to accurately screen will improve access to multidisciplinary interventions.
1: Welcome to the 2019 third annual Cancer Conference, Beyond Rest, a rehabilitative approach to managing cancer-related fatigue, sponsored by Kessler Institute for Rehabilitation and Kessler Foundation cancer-related fatigue is an issue that often develops during treatment and can last for months or even years. The conference podcasts will focus on the impact, screening, and management of the physical, physiological, emotional, and cognitive sequelae. Listeners will gain understanding of the various evidence-based therapeutic interventions and the overall benefits of a multi-professional approach. Topics to be discussed will include current research and practice guidelines, as well as the unique role that rehabilitation can play in managing and reducing signs of cancer-related fatigue. This presentation was recorded, produced, and edited by Joan Bank-Smith, creative producer for Kessler Foundation on Thursday, August 8, 2019, at the Kessler Institute for Rehabilitation, West Orange Campus, New Jersey. Be sure and check out the conference playlist to listen to all of the other session podcasts. The link to the playlist is in the show notes. In this session, nurse clinician Linda Schmidt from the John Thor Cancer Center at Hackensack University Medical Center presented screening for cancer related fatigue.
0: I am truly honored to be here uh, because we need your help in the oncology field and for our patients because they do need the rehab, because this is a chronic disease, and there are side effects of chemotherapy and just cancer in general that need, over time, the assistance and the help. So I thank you for helping our group. Um, I will say that the um, physical therapy for cancer therapy um, has been, there's been some uh, deficits in the, in the community, and I'm glad that for the, Re, the Revital program, because they've really made a difference to our patients that we've been referring to your program. And uh, I'm here to talk to you about uh, cancer, the, uh, cancer-related fatigue screening. And uh, there we go. Uh, cancer screening uh, is you have to recognize the importance of screening for compliance, quality, and value-based care. Uh, they the recognize the role of multidisciplinary team in screening for chronic uh, cancer-related fatigue, and identify the tools for the use of screening in, in uh, fatigue, and introduce clinical practice guidelines for screening. Uh, fatigue uh, is a subjective experience that should be s- systematically assessed using self-reported and other sources of data. Um, How do we measure and make evidence-based interventions if this is a subjective experience? We need objective data. Uh, Cancer-related fatigue is the most common side effect of cancer treatment. Being able able to accurately screen will improve access to multidisciplinary interventions. This is my favorite slide. Okay, these are the most common symptoms of chronic uh, cancer-related fatigue. We have stress, attention deficit, mental fatigue, nausea, short-term memory loss, physical pain, lack of comfort, concentration, and physical fatigue. A screening for the treatment of cancer-related fatigue during therapy and during the period of cancer survivorship has become a major focus for supportive Uh, care and oncology, and is the subject of guidelines from several expert groups, including ASCO, the American Society of Clinical Oncologists, and the NCCN. Uh, We also have formal diagnostic criteria as outlined at the ICD code 10 are not widespread use, but I use the ICD code R53.83, that's fatigue quite often in my practice, um, to help us get the referrals that we need to make you guys happen. Uh, Patients do not necessarily need to have a minimum number of criteria to receive a clinical diagnosis of cancer-related fatigue, and their use is not recommended in guidelines for screening and assessment for cancer-related fatigue from expert groups, including the NCCN network. So how do we screen? Um, patients should be screened for the presence of the severity of fatigue at their clinical, initial clinical visit, at regular intervals, during and following cancer treatment, and as clinically indicated. This should be happening every time. Every time you see the patient. That patient could be just walking down the hallway, and your eyes have to be on. You look at them and say, are they walking straight? Are they walking in a chair? Are they holding onto the wall? Are they looking up? Are they looking down? Can they, can they walk heel-toe? These are things that we have to see, look at as soon as they walk in the door. Um, in our practice, this is vital for us and says a lot. Um, let's see. There, are the importance of there is a the multidisciplinary team. It's important for uh, the importance of screening, and it's every visit, every time. It's responsible for all providers using reliable and viable and vital tools. Um, as when our patients come into our clinic. What happens is we get the vital signs downstairs from our, in the Jonthor Cancer Center, and they come up to us and we see just a vital sign, a blood pressure, a heart rate, a respiratory rate, and a weight. And that's basically all we see, and a CBC. So there we have some basic information. And then we have to decide, okay, has there been any changes? So that's where it starts. Um, but then again, it's when they come in the door. And what we looked at was, Here the NCCN guidelines have provided us a basic fatigue score. It's 0 to 10. How simple can you get than that, okay? You have 0 is 1, 1 to 3 is mild, 4 to 6 is moderate, and then severe is 7 to 10. I like easy because you need something that patients understand, that they are able to use and to use to to make sure that they are able to communicate what their fatigue level is. Now I know the print is small. This is the NCCN guidelines that are available uh, as a reference. Um, it goes into how you screen for fatigue. And I'm sorry, the print is really small. So they look, go into the most the the using the one to ten. So for children. It's, um, for children, it's less than five. It's you're tired or you're not tired. For seven to 10, it's uh, they use a severity of one to five, uh, not tired to worse. And for adults, zero to 10. And there's a, an easy way. It's, what's good is when you look at this, you say, OK, you're validating that one to 10 is actually a good idea, because uh, when you have a, a, a fatigue between 3 to 10, you have to start looking at primary evaluation. I know the the physician prior to here talked about primary evaluation. And when we look over, when anyone's diagnosed with cancer, they're already tired. You know, the the actual diagnostic uh, process of them being diagnosed with cancer has been exhausting, Okay, Uh, The stress level is quite high. Um, so when we look at the primary evaluation, we look at the management of underlying conditions, they look at anemia, medical com- comorbidities, but many times these patients don't realize that they're anemic and that they're, they're tired because they're anemic. So they're already coming in with uh, comorbidities. So if you look at the primary evaluation, it says if they have no precipitating conditions identified, well, you can evaluate for you know, energy conversation, uh, conservation, psychosocial support, exercise, sleep, pharmacological agents, which you heard about, and complementary medicine. But what is concerning to us is that we do have uh, we do have to be able to manage it. And there's recommendations for screening and assessment and management. And this is all about quality of life. Um, all about quality of life. So if you look at energy conservation, I will be talking to you about how we look at what the, what is the patient doing? How are they managing their medicines? When are they taking their medications? When is their fatigue happening? Is it before? Is it in the morning? Is it in the afternoon? Are they sleeping? Are they not sleeping? Can they exercise? Are they exercising? When are they exercising? Um, and uh, sleeping, sleeping is another issue, because many of our patients don't know when to sleep, how to sleep, or is it their sleep restful? Have they earned their sleep? Is really really important for their quality of life, and that's what we're all in. that's what we're working on right now. Because since cancer is a chronic disease, people are living longer. Um, In 1984, the highest, I lost a lot of young men to to testicular cancer, and now it's curable. And I still get, I just got a Christmas card last Christmas to a gentleman I took care of in 1984 who's now a grandfather. So here we have somebody who's living with cancer for decades now. So we now have the focus history. We have the disease status and treatment. Now understand you have the patients that are being diagnosed, initial diagnosis. You also have them during their treatment, during their induction therapy, during their consolidation therapy, during their relapse therapy, and their chronic therapy. It's not unusual for patients to have not just one line of therapy to 15 lines of therapy over a course of five years, Three years, 25 years. So we don't, we have to keep focused all the time on what is their uh, what is their disease status and their treatment plan. Uh, we have to do the review of their systems, uh, in-depth fatigues, uh fatigue history, the onset, the pattern, the duration change over time, associated levitating factors, impact on function, their social support and caregivers. Do they have one? Do they have a family member? Do they have a significant other? Do they have the support of the community? Are they a member of a support group? I'm one of the, I'm also the medical liaison for the myeloma support group. Do they have somebody that can help them get through the treatment plan or during their course of disease whether it's initial diagnosis In remission, out of remission, end of life. Also, their economic status and their resources that they use for support. Money is a big issue. Uh, Medication, uh, lenalidomide is $14,000 a month. So if you have somebody who's on this for for 100 cycles, that's $14,000 a month if they didn't have insurance. But if they do have insurance, they have copay. So it puts a big burden on their family. So that would make me tired. Um, we also tr- assess treatable factors, we have medications, uh, and their side effects. The backbone for oncology care is steroids, dexamethasone. Dexamethasone is a big. Um, Causes uh, steroid myopathy, the big muscles in their thighs and their butt. Okay, they have trouble getting up, they have trouble sitting, they have trouble standing, um, they get tired because they can't go up and down the stairs. So you have to find out how many stairs do you have? How many do you get into your house? How many, where's your bedroom? Do we need to move your bedroom? So steroid myopathy is a big issue. Um, other medication side effects? Um, we have are the taxanes that can cause peripheral neuropathy Um, that sometimes doesn't go away so that's why we need people in the rehab department to help them adjust to the peripheral neuropathy can they button their buttons can they tie their shoes we have to we have to work on that do they have pain What kind of pain do they have? But you know what I have noticed is that there's less narcotics being prescribed. Uh, We're using other agents uh, to help with pain and discomfort. It's not like it used to be. Um, Pain. There is a study that looked at narcotics uh, utilizes the same pathway as cancer cells. So we're trying to just move away from the narcotics. So then you don't have those peaks and valleys with pain regimens. Um, emotional distress, we already talked about how difficult just being diagnosed with cancer can be. Um, anemia, many patients are anemic. The chemotherapy, they usually come in as anemic, or the chemotherapy is, going to, is so myelosuppressive that they are anemic, and they can't function during the day, or they can't do the things that they want to do. Uh, There's sleep disturbances. When are they sleeping? Are they earning their sleep? When, is it, when do they take their dexamethasone? Because we know that four hours later, they're gonna be awake. So if you take dexamethasone in the morning, you're gonna be great, you're gonna be fired up. But what happens is, come later on, you're gonna crash. In our therapies that we use for multiple myeloma, we know that two days after they receive their steroid, they're going to crash. So we tell patients, please, Use your exercise, do your activities during your, your uptime, because know that you could potentially be in bed, not able to do two to three days later. Uh, nutritional status, that's also a big one as well. Are they eating well? Um, we have nutritionists that look at weight. So we have height, we have weight, we have blood pressure, we have uh, heart rate, and we ask the, the, for, for the changes in the weights. What is going on? Are you drinking your fluids? Are you getting enough energy uh, to get through your day to help battle the cancer so, you're, so you'll be on the winning side? Uh, your functional status, are you sitting in bed? Are you in your chair your recliner all day long? Can you take part in your daily activities? Can you go to the supermarket? When do you go to the supermarket? One of the things that we do do is we tell our patients to please, if you're going to go to the supermarket, go first thing in the morning. Wipe down the cart. Do your food shopping then so you're away from people. Because if you're anemic, most likely your white count is low as well. So you're more uh, susceptible to infections. And every flu virus out there is on a shopping cart. Uh, If you're going to go to the movies, make sure you go to the first showing. If you're going to go out to dinner, go to the first dinner of the day, Okay, Be be the first one. And don't go to to an all-you-can-eat buffet, because everyone's using those spoons, Okay, Everybody, if you just have to watch. If you go to Wegmans, look at them. Everybody's using the same spoon, so please protect yourself and tell your patients to be mindful. And the comorbidities for cancer treatment, you know, because of the steroids, we really predispose our patients to uh, diabetes. And we have to watch our patients with their blood sugars and make sure that they're taking, taking their meds like they should or they may have to double up on their anti-diabetic medication um, on the days that they get dexamethasone. And, but also remind them, Please watch your sugars two days later because you may be crashing, okay? Um, Some of the other tools that we use for cancer-related fatigue are unidimensional measures and multidimensional measures. So the tools that we use are unidimensional, unidimensional are are the height, the weight, just the the nuts and the bolts before you see the patient. I see the multidimensional as the ones that you see like well, what do they look like? How are they feeling? And this is all of these here. These are all the tools that the NCCN guidelines have reviewed. There's 14 commonly used tools that were reviewed by the NCCN using the Likert scale um, that's using like um, uh, do you ag- one to five, do you agree to disagree? Um, most likely, yes, almost, you know, that kind of thing. Um, So there's 14 of these. Um, I'm sorry. I'm missing my screen. Okay. So so there's 14 of these, and what this is actually saying is if you look at the number of items, you see 14 items, 20 items. Are your patients going to answer those questions? When you look at them, say there's 20 questions, that's a, that's a lot. But the one that we do use is the NCCN problem list, which is used as a thermometer. So it actually looks at, I actually have a picture of it here. We use this at our cancer center. And it's just basically a thermometer on a, on a 1 to 10 of what your stress level is. And it goes over like yes, no, childcare, health, housing, housing, in, in, uh, insurance, transportation, work, school, dealing with kids. Are you having any of these problems? And if you're greater than five, we either call the social worker, call the dietitian, and say, okay, we've got a problem here. Call our transportation expert to make sure, can you get here for your treatment? So this is one of the great... One of the good uh, tools that we use at the Cancer Center, in addition to trying to establish the fatigue one to ten, which I think is a wonderful thing. Okay, um, and also the other tool that's not written here, we do clinical trials at the Johns Cancer Center. If you're an NCCN member, um, because we work in research, um, fatigue is considered a constitutional um, is called constitutional guideline, and they have. Three. There's only three. So we need to make things simple for our patients. And I think that's what I really wanted to just touch base with everyone, is that it's important to know that all these tools have been investigated, but the best one is making it simple. Because once you start, if somebody's tired and fatigued, they're not going to fill out a form that says 20 questions on it. You want something that's quick and that's easy to deal with. Um, the other part of this is I want to just let you know that patients may not be aware that they are fatigued um, the, and that it's negatively affected their life. Family might be more cognizant of the change and of the effect fatigue has. Um, I call the patient the president and I call their family member the chief of staff because sometimes the president doesn't tell you exactly what's going on it's the chief of staff that does. Whether it's the rolling of the eyes, I'm feeling fine, I'm not tired, I feel well. This is something that you, you have to defer to to family. Um, there was a study done by one of my, uh, my peers, uh, Stuart Goldberg, and it looked at. It looked at a. a um, it was just. It was just published in two thousand and eighteen, um, and it showed that there was a disparity between what the patient can do, and what they wanted to do. So, we need to like close the gap of either saying, okay, let's bring it up to where they what they want to do, or help them reconcile to what the new normal is. The way that I try to help our patients is. I want the, I tell them to start journaling, because we need to pinpoint before we can make those referrals to physical therapy, occupational therapy, speech, um, dietary. We need to find out where these pin, where these things are happening, and I have patients. They go start journaling with um, the little the little black and white marble notebooks. They're on sale for like ten cents now. Uh, during the school season, and I just say, where, where are you feeling fatigued? How are you feeling? When is it happening? What can we do to make a difference? Can we switch your med to take it in the morning? Can we switch it to the afternoon? Can we switch it to the evening? Some medications are better off taken at night. So if you have peripheral neuropathy, and say that, you, that you're supposed to start on a medication called Elevil, Okay, that's being given now for, that's been given for a long time for neuropathy. And people say take it at night, but they can't wake up until 11 o'clock in the morning. They're missing the whole morning, so they have to back up their meds. Even though the prescription bottle says take it at nighttime, you may have to switch it and tell them to to, uh, change the time. But journaling is so important. Um, I have somebody that's been doing journaling now for 10 years. So she can actually pull out a journal and say, well, you know, I had this back then, um, and this worked for me last time. Can we try it again? So uh, that's why it's just important. So when you see people that are having problems pinpointing where they are in their therapy or what they're feeling, have them just write it down. Um, barriers to screening screening is not systematic or effective in in many practice settings for a variety of reasons um, the patient for the patient and family they they don't want to bother the clinicians if somebody's saying to me that if they're looking at me and they're saying everything's fine and their body language is telling me it's not I really zone in on that okay um, they're worried about their treatment may be changed because many times the patients are having symptoms they don't want to say anything because they're going to think, well, you're going to delay my treatment. Um, what we usually look at is when the treatment needs to be changed, it's usually because they're more anemic or they're not responding to their growth factor or we need to just alternate, uh, alternate their therapy a bit. Um, it's, it's kind of tough because cancer is a chronic illness and they're on therapy for a very long time. Uh, Some people don't get off therapy that they just we just kind of tweak things along the way So they can live their lives the best that they can so they can enjoy their kids enjoy their grandkids So they can go on that trip or that wedding um, or that anniversary or that trip across the across the world or go on that Viking cruise that they want to go on Um, They don't want to look like they're complaining, but you know if you're Complain if, if you're not complaining or there isn't any issues then we might be missing the mark because we want to make things better. Um, And they also assume they have to live with it. Well, living with something that we can tweak, why not? You know, let's make it a little bit better. And for clinicians, they may not recognize it as a problem for the patient. Um, They may not be aware that that there are effective treatments. And that's part of my job. Is to make their, to give an awareness that there are things that we have to recognize, so we can make patients' lives better. So we can refer them to programs like Revital. So I'm getting feedback from my patients because I've been sending people. They said, "Hey, it's really working. My my, I can I can do things that I couldn't do before." Um, well, in summary, uh, cancer is a chronic disease. Um, there is a disparity between the what patients want to do and what they are able to do. Um, We need to utilize the subjective NCCN uh, fatigue scale, compare with each visit, and document the findings. That's just really important. So we know, did it make a difference? Because we need to make a difference. Ask questions, uh, assess responses, develop interventions for every patient. Every patient, nobody's going to be the same. Um, But we can make things a little bit better. Um, document the findings uh, so evaluate findings and make changes, advise patients to journal patient symptoms Um, that's really important Uh, In cancer again, cancer is a chronic disease with fatigue affecting quality of life for patients and their families because we're living with this this disease, we don't die of it we live with it and that's just basically it thank you very much So, so the bad news is that I enjoyed that and it's over. The good news is that now you can ask questions for a couple of minutes if you don't mind. We have questions. Yes. Hold on. Raise again. Well, way in the back. Getting my steps in. Good. <laughs> Hello. Um,
1: you were saying about the steroids. Is yeah. it, you were saying if After four hours, that's when you're going to get, like,
0: the most amount of energy? And then, like, two to three later, there's a crash? There's a crash, yes. So depending on when you take your dexamethasone, for some people, we tell them that they're going to be the most wakeful for four hours. Um, And that's usually when their energy kicks in. Um, And then they're awake. I mean, when they tell you you're awake, um, usually that's a time that they're... the They're most anxious. They have lots of energy. Any junk draw you want to have done, it's going to be done. And that's usually when I tell patients' family members to duck and cover, You know, to let them go. Don't worry about it. If they want to straighten out the dishes, go ahead. Um, We have patients that have actually done um, their TV camera work or their trial lawyers, and they've scheduled their uh, court dates on days that they get dexamethasone because they're on fire. But don't talk to them two days later on Tuesday or whatever it is when they're crashed out in bed because nobody knows that because they're in bed.
1: And, oh. and I would hazard a guess for those of us doing inpatient rehab or who are taking
0: care of fatigued patients in the outpatient setting, helping them time their steroids can be useful. Yeah. And the physicians and inpatient staff don't assume they know anything about that. So now you know this little pearl. It's a good way to advise them. Oh, and the other thing I did want to say was sometimes when patients go for physical therapy, there's only a certain number, of, certain number of visits. And then all of a sudden it ends. And then the patients come to us and say, okay, we're done now. What do I do? And I'm like, well, what did your physical therapist teach you? Let's go over the exercises with you. And they don't have, you know, and usually I tell patients, please, I don't want you to go, I don't want home PT. Sorry for the people who need to, are doing home PT. I want you to get out of the house. I want you to get out of the house because it gets you a new perspective, you're seeing new people, you're going to meet your physical therapist, and I want you to go and do. But when it ends, that's many times when I tell patients, okay, now it's time for you to go to the gym. Take what your physical therapist has taught you, go to the gym, go first thing in the morning, wipe down the equipment, wipe down the equipment, and go forward and do your physical therapy. And just make that as part of your regimen. And as soon as you have another deficit, it's okay, we can submit it to your insurance, we'll send you for another prescription. Because again, we're talking about people getting therapy now for chemotherapy for, for years. So... You don't get physical therapy once; you get it within a certain calendar calendar of, of, of a year, or how many? I'm sure. I'm sure Tiffany's shaking her head. You know that you're only allowed certain amounts. So I'm like, okay, so now we can go for the next time. All right. In our division, there's three things that are multi, for uh, for our patients that are our biggest concern: is neuropathy, the risk for falls, and steroid steroid myopathy of the big muscle groups. So. It's so, just so important when you see that patient for the first time. Look at them. How are they walking? Are they holding onto the wall? Are they walking like a duck? Are they walking heel toe? Are they? Do they have zip, Do they have a pullover shirt? Do you, never, do you ever see that they don't have buttons? Why don't they have a button? You know. So those are things that I ask patients. But I guess I'm kind of old in this business, and I ask. So, um, but it's my job and my privilege to have you guys come help our our cancer patients because 50% of us are going to have somebody in our family that are going to have cancer. It's just the way it is. Um, So we have to be more proactive, and I thank you.
1: For more information about Kessler Foundation, go to KesslerFoundation.org. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram Listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcasts.